Hello and welcome to the Skewer Podcast. The Skewer is a live monthly news review satirizing the dumb news of the month that was through hilarious op-ed and debate. This particular edition was recorded on February 6th, 2019. However, because I'm a fucking moron, I forgot to hit the button to record until after my opener and Kevin's first round of the news quiz. So we have all the op-eds, Kevin's second round of the news quiz, and the debate. However, uh, we don't have my opener. It was funny, but you'll never know. Uh, Anyway, enjoy. Well, the only thing we missed was me and Kevin's first round. Kevin's going to come back for a second round. So, uh, really, the only victim is me, and what else am I here for? Uh, (laughs) Our first op-ed reader of the evening is a writer performer, and contributor to Scopy Magazine. You can check out more of their writing on their website, reclaiminglaughter.wordpress.com. Please welcome M. Haverty to the stage. Hi. Hi, everyone. Hello. Hello. It's very close. <laughs> It is with a heavy heart that with this, that this January 2019, I made the quiet New Year's resolution to stop dunking on masculinity. There is a lot of hate, and I really am trying to not let hate rule everything because holy hell, I grew up trying to be masculine adjacent. And uh, the thing about transition and gender is that I'm still in the state where my mind will whirl up in a panic and make me doubt myself, like my masculinity is in remission or that I'm femme except for sudden masculine flare-ups. <laughs> for uh, some forms making fun uh, uh, sorry. some forms making fun of masculinity for me has started giving me the same feeling of when people say my ex is crazy. <laughs> but it's like for me it's like my last gender was wild. <laughs> you know, I'm just trying to be more spiritual but still having to Google Trump news twice a day, <laughs> balancing it out with muttering a mantra of all is, well, all is love, all is love, all is love, God damn it. <laughs> but it was, a, it was a good year to start with this resolution. The year started with a big win for demystifying men's mental health with the American Psychological Association, or APA, issuing the first ever guidelines. Uh, for therapists working with boys and men. They hadn't worked with them before. (laughs) (laughs) To to give historical context, uh, up until the 1960s uh, and an intervention from second-wave feminism, major psychological studies featured white men and boys as the default control group for all studies. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, um, a, a default control group that represents all people, uh, all races, the genders, and sexualities, which is, um, say it with me, the marginalization of people at risk of under the foot of institutionalized white supremacy. Excellent. <laughs> uh, about 50 years After the thought that women might have a different experience of the world than men, the APA released the paper Guidelines for Psychological Practice in Girls and Women in 2007. 
2019, guidelines for psychological practices in men and boys came out. And the language is amazing. It addresses different kinds of masculinities and different kinds of masculine pain. It's been found that men who bought into traditional notions of masculinity were less likely to seek mental health services or to take steps towards self-care, like eating greens. <laughs> they, it's, they actually make it very specific that men don't eat salads. <laughs> In a psychological report. <laughs> I mean, and like, yeah, there's like everything else that's like, yeah, and it also, it's their, they hate all genders and typically is really misogynist, but also they don't like greens. <laughs> Look at this great conversation we're slowly growing into. Gosh, I remember going to bed one night thinking, I sure hope nothing huge sweeps the country and reduces emotionally suppressed masculine identifying cis folk to together around toxic behaviors. Like, hold on. I'm going to go ahead and read that sentence again. Because phones are weird. Gosh, I remember going to bed one night thinking, I sure hope nothing huge sweeps the country and reduces emotionally suppressed masculine-identifying cis folk to gather around toxic behaviors. Like, ever have such a thought before drifting into a dream? Like, have you ever had such a thought drifting into a dream where you are just so sure that the next day is going to be a good day? Like, let's say you're falling asleep one night. Let's just throw out randomly falling asleep on the night of January 15th, 2019. And as you giggle in delight, thinking of what wonders the world will bring tomorrow, you feel positive you're not going to have to deal with a brand starting a national conversation about toxic masculinity that's woefully unprepared to have. Oh, I just love that feeling. Just... Just having a little, a little inkling that the next day will not drive millions of hurt men to posture. <laughs> in the five human lifetimes we've lived in since Gillette posted the ad for Coney 2019, <laughs> they affirmed their mission statement for the commercial a few days after. You see, they had started the conversation. <laughs> Isn't that what this was all about? <laughs> Starting a conversation? Let's all just start conversations. Are you not conversing? Is this not a conversation? You're welcome. Woke brands love starting conversations. Howard Schultz is a milky toast centrist shitbird who wanted so badly to start a nationwide conversation about race called Race Together. This was a Starbucks initiative of 2015, and yes, that was an audible groan. Uh, after a lot of period of racial unrest since for, uh, forever, uh, Howard Schultz decided to create uh, Race Together by putting out an ad in the New York Times, that was a big old page that said, hey, 
we're going to talk about race. Come on by. As someone who worked at a Starbucks during that time, there are people who wanted to talk about race. And working at a Starbucks that was higher or upper, upper middle class suburbs of Chicago really wanted to talk about one aspect of race. <laughs> I started my day at 7 a.m. By 7.15, I had had a conversation with a customer, a regular person I see every day, who within a minute talked about how the Civil War was about states' rights. <laughs> they quickly abandoned race together. Uh, mainly because journalists were like, hey, so uh, why is the executive board largely white? And Howard Schultz says, Howard Schultz said, we started a conversation. We can end it. <laughs> it's all been done that is what in the biz is called corporate social responsibility yeah <laughs> some people think there's some companies that believe that they'll be bolstered if they talk about uh, important social issues there's other ones who uh, will instead just quietly do things <laughs> To be and uh, so they can turn to him and say that we have been socially conscious. Um, shit, cannot. What's the name of that missile manufacturer? Raytheon. Thank you. Um, uh, Raytheon uh, is uh, putting together a uh, has put together the first uh, competition for coding for the American uh, Girl Scouts Association. <laughs> Um, I think it's there so you can be like, well, they're not that bad as far as. <laughs> but if you're going to do the most social good, maybe stop making weapons. <laughs> Them, Gillette, Starbucks. Well, Gillette and Starbucks, they didn't really start a conversation. They talked over one. You start a conversation and you can't even finish it. You're talking a lot, but you're not saying anything. I mean, like, when I've got something to say, my lips are sealed. Start a conversation once, why start it again? Psycho killer. Okay, um... So let's start making sense of... No. That's the last one. Uh, but what is the rest of the conversation that they wanted to have? Gillette's beautifully made garbage-ass ad will win an award for advertising. But it's said by the conversation has emboldened those in pain to not seek help. In fact, doing more dangerous things, like throwing razors out. <laughs> a life-threatened uh, like life without another coping mechanism will just double down on whatever its deep roots beliefs are. And as long as that's what's there... It's what we're leaving them with. But, you know, 
Hate and anger are powerful emotions used to mask vulnerable emotions we might feel, such as sadness or shame. Do you know where I read that? The APA, the APA guidelines for psychological <laughs> practice in men and boys. This is where I want the conversation to go. Gillette has it all wrong. And they will change it in their new ad campaign. Gillette asks you, men, have you seen a beautiful penis? <laughs> men, why do you and other men have trouble appreciating your own gorgeous dong? At Gillette, penis positivity matters. If we have to offer, if we have to refer to hair grooming as manscaping, let manscaping be a Zen garden in which hair is tended near a bonsai tree of stunning beauty. Cis men, cis men assigned to male at birth are at the risk of thinking that their penises are not beautiful. No one has ever told them that they are enough, that they can love their penis. No matter what others say. And this might be the most tragic dick joke of all. <laughs> the joke where you never help your velvet vase you've never held your velvet vase in your hands and proclaim sweet affirmations at the urinal. <laughs> Thank you for listening to me talk about penises for that long. <laughs> I was very nervous to write that much about Dong. Showing men love themselves without the promise of validation of others. So first, we need to have, we need to build a campaign for toxic men to undo toxic messages about what, about what masculinity is without ever uttering its name. Bro hugs slowly become unironic platonic touch. No homo blossoms into, yes, hetero homo poly bi spectrum. <laughs> Crushing the patriarchy comes from destabilizing the small pillars of any institution. In any institution, we are the humble dirt. And while we can throw Molotov cocktails high up in the air, it's overall better to unsettle the earth below the structures. We are all dirt. This, you, me, this chair, this mic, Tom Harrison. That person walking right there, that person is dirt. <laughs> that dirt. <laughs> we're all the seismic shift. And we're starting again tomorrow. Thank you. Let's hear it one more time for M. Haverty. Thank you. Oh, let's keep it rolling. We got some great writers for you tonight. The next writer up on the stage won Best Comedic Performance at the Boulder Fringe Festival. You can see her this Saturday hosting Make Me Laugh and Win My, Win My Money, the midnight show at the Crowd Theater. Please welcome to the stage Elaine Orion. Elaine! Thank you. Thank you. So, our story starts as many do uh, on Facebook scrolling past friends asking me to Venmo for 
I don't know, and pictures of places I uh, can't afford to go to. Um, let's see a picture. It's a, it's a white kid. It's a MAGA hat. Uh, he's smirking. There's an old Native American man. I'm like, all right. I've seen it before. Uh, something about torches or statues or pipelines. Like, all right. But I did do my research. I did do my research for my sto- uh, story today. Uh, I read the comments. Alan, apparently, this, uh, it was a school trip to a protest. And I got to assume that anyone that thought that it was a good idea uh, to bring teenage boys to a protest hasn't chaperoned anything in their life. <laughs> They're monsters. You can't take them to the zoo. They sexually harassed the koalas. <laughs> and they were rude to a Native American man. Really? They, they're not sensitive on social issues? What's the hint? They flick each other in the balls and call you gay if you flinch. I was a veteran, yeah, but, you know, of Vietnam. Kids haven't heard about Vietnam. We don't teach about wars that we lost. So why are they there? Comments a little bit deeper. Uh, they're there for the March for Life. Because, you know, who needs to weigh in on abortion, right? Not, why not people that think that front butt is a cute name for a vagina? <laughs> I'm sorry, I realize that you're not getting to enjoy the show as much as everyone else. <laughs> but my favorite uh, aspect to the March for Life is their motto. Uh, we're the pro-life generation. I'm like, yeah, that'll last until you find out what sex without a condom feels like. I think no wonder they're busing in high schoolers. You try to get college kids to do that, and they're like, or we could go to Cabo. Like, oh. Yeah, but if you're in high school, sure, it sounds like a good deal. Who wouldn't want to yell whore for an afternoon instead of math? Yeah. But there's a second video. No, wait, there's more. You gotta watch the director's cut. It's, <laughs> it's two hours long. I'm like, I didn't want to watch two minutes. <laughs> two hours. Who has the time? But I did do research. I read the comments. <laughs> and so I guess before that interaction, there's a group of uh, black uh, Israelites they call themselves, and they're, they're yelling at the boys. Um, and it's shocking that people were shocked by that. Uh, you go to a city, you went to a major metropolitan area with a comprehensive public transportation system, and yet you were surprised to meet a racist street preacher. <laughs> Being called white devil is just a part of my commute. That's, you know where you don't get called a Donald Trump incest baby? <laughs> Real quote, by the way. Uh, the Smithsonian. <laughs> right? <laughs> Maybe a better field trip? 
So then there's damage control coming out. The school denounces it. The diocese denounces it. Uh, which, you got to admit, this isn't even a top ten PR disaster for the Catholic Church. <laughs> this year, I mean... That shit grins on the Today Show for some reason. Like, I didn't know, like, I realize now I should have asked my parents for a PR firm so I could get a TV credit for my sweet 16. Like, oh. Uh, The Coulter crowd and the Shapiro shits come out and MAGA hats, they're not really racist. I'm like, yeah, but the tomahawk chop kind of is. Yeah. Oh, hey. I, you guys are, you know, join in. You guys know it, right? Fuck you guys. I didn't get in. I went to NIU. Yeah. Our mascot doubles as an adjective. Husky. So now we've got dirty laundry. We've got to throw dirt both sides. Uh, Nathan Phillips, the Native American leader in the video. Um originally credited as serving in Vietnam had to be corrected serving during Vietnam as a refrigerator tech in Nebraska and uh, the we're not racist coming to they get a new video as well they're also on the news so I didn't watch that one either but the description had the word blackface and school spirit (laughs) And in the screenshot, it's two fat white kids wear, you know, wearing a white button-up shirt, tie, like they're going to traffic court for the first time. And I'm just like, where are the parents? This is... You let these kids loose on the streets of D.C. in manga hats. You're, they're, they're on TV defending blackface. In 2019, has DCFS been defunded in Kentucky? Like, this is negligence, Really? <laughs> That's not to buy in to the main defense. That's not to contribute to the main defense, which is like, we're just poor old boys from Kentucky. Kentucky, yeah. Like the most powerful senator, who at the time was literally holding the government hostage, and actually the reason why the Smithsonian was closed that day. It does help to understand where these kids are coming from, though. And you realize that there's no way they were ever going to the Museum of Natural History. Not when Covington Catholic is just 19 minutes down the road, down 275 from the Creation Museum. (laughs) Half hour from the Ark Encounter. It's It's a $100 million structure of, of, of taxpayer money uh, where you learn that all the fossils are from the flood, right? Like, I don't know what the educational merit of this trip was. They learned what doxing is? <laughs> it's a ship field trip. You know it's a ship field trip when your school is to delete their Facebook page. <laughs> I would urge the administrators to next time take a clue from your own Covington Catholic valedictorian who though unable to speak at graduation because he was gay was available for comment and said this on the field trip yeah it's pretty much what I'd expect <laughs> would happen like 
<laughs> the reoccurring issue, of course, is um, is white privilege. Is 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 this an example of white privilege? What role did white privilege play uh, in the situation? And I, I, upon a lot of reflection, I I came to this. The most compelling reason that this is an example of white privilege is that it was a field trip. (laughs) Who goes on a field trip anymore? Most schools had their field trip budget exhausted in the mid-90s. So obviously, yes. (laughs) Get the fuck back to class, kids. Come on. No wonder we're 30th in math. Like, come on. All right. That's all for me. Thank you. One more time for Elena Ryan. Is this your stand? There's been a stand the whole time? I've been holding it in my hand. I, I never knew. Well, this changes everything. There, folks, there's a stand. The skewer has reached a new era. <laughs> And the first person to use the stand... Well, second person. What am I fucking... Like, didn't I just see the second person to use the stand is, unfortunately, a fiction writer. <laughs> As of this moment, he is the skewer's unofficial election correspondent. You can find him in Uptown pushing for rent control or on the bad website at Simple Ranger. Please welcome to the stage, to the stand, Josh Watkins. <laughs> Thank you. I will use the stand. This paperclip, you want this? We got a lot lot of shit here, guys. Uh, So a few months ago, I was here at the skewer covering the Illinois gubernatorial election. Uh, The statewide race was easy to digest. Two big, rich boys no one liked, and all of us here jealously laughing at their sacks of gold. However, the upcoming mayoral race is a complex morass of 600 flawed, gutless buzzards <laughs> vying to become Windy City Pharaoh. Now, at first I figured, why do this to myself? Nobody I like has ever won an election. It's the same, right? Uh, my first vote in Chicago was Chewy Garcia for mayor which he lost in a runoff to his opponent, the Fraternal Order of Police. (laughs) For the 2016 presidential primary, I did my duty as a misogynist and voted for Comrade Bernie Sanders. After he lost, I was called to Pokemon Go to the polls. And folks, I did. I proudly pulled the lever for Hillary Rodham Clinton, a lifetime public servant whose longest-held position has been protecting a rapist. No, I planned on bringing you a wonkish, depressing foreign policy update on one of those boring countries the U.S. is bombing. That was until I saw a video of mayoral candidate Paul Vallis standing in a basement outlining an inspiring plan to convert unimproved basement spaces into affordable garden units. 
myself a survivor of a garden apartment. <laughs> this jabbering, uncharismatic asshole really lit a fire in my heart. So during our little cold snap, as Cook County Jail made underdressed prisoners shovel snow, I locked myself in my apartment for days reading about Chicago politics. I boiled my brain into oatmeal so that you don't have to. Now, before I dive in, I should mention, like many of you, I'm numb to local politics from generations of cynical pocket-lining cronyism in City Hall, and we're all a little too overworked to do journalistic deep dives on city elections by ourselves. I depend on our major newspapers to provide the hard-hitting facts, which for the Trib and the Sun-Times means printing copy-and-pasted PR releases from each candidate. But once I got the ball rolling on their online archives, both publications paywalled me. <laughs> Luckily, I turned to the excellent independent reporting in the Chicago Reader and the Chicago Reporter and the multitude of activists following the elections on Twitter. Uh, the Chicago Tribune, I should mention before I move on, is a Mickey Mouse publication known for bold editorial moves like endorsing Gary Johnson in the 2016 presidential race and employing John Cass. The Tribune Tower is the only building in the entire city of Chicago I'm glad is being converted into condos. <laughs> Thanks. So fucking angry. <laughs> Chicagoans actually started caring about the race in September when Mayor Rahm Emanuel announced he wouldn't run for a third term. It's been a long, strange journey with Rahm, and I don't want to linger too much on his legacy, but... Wow. His crowning accomplishments, like privatizing oxygen and building a $95 million Robocop factory, will be hard to top. There's not enough time to cover all 14 folks scrambling for Rom's throne, so I'll take you through the major players. If you're a candidate I don't mention, it's because you're too dull and bloodless to even be a punchline. Please stop mailing me garbage. I don't want to look at your ugly family or your Mad Lib-generated platform. I also won't be covering uh, Lori Lightfoot or Amara Enya. Uh, they both have serious flaws, but they're close enough to being good that they're not funny. Uh, keep your eyes peeled for the Girl I Guess Chicago Voting Guide when it drops. They're qualified to help you decide on who to vote. Uh, I'm just here to help make fun of some idiot shit people. Um, uh, so to get a move on, a few folks to get out of the way. Uh, Willie Wilson is the billionaire vanity candidate who loves throwing his money in a toilet publicly every election cycle. Uh, Susanna Mendoza is three Rahm Emanuels in a trench coat. Uh, uh, Bob Fioretti is a perennial candidate whose entire head looks like Roger Ebert's jaw. Uh, John Colzar is 30 years old. He's the mayoral race's scrappy-doo. Uh, he's a lawyer from Canaryville, which, uh, for you people who aren't from Chicago, it's a white separatist colony. Uh, he looks like a disgraced youth pastor, and the only reason I mention him at all is because in January 2016, uh, he went on the Steve Harvey talk show to talk about politics and millennials. And I promise you all, I did everything I could to find the footage online. Uh, but I, I could not. I'm putting out the call. I want those pictures of Spider-Man. Uh, all you really need to know about the blood and soil candidate, Gary McCarthy, 
is that his first fundraiser was held at the Irish American Heritage Center. Most Chicagoans remember his time as city police director of Newark, New Jersey, where he racked up an impressive pile of civil rights violations. But the real McCarthy heads know him as the Chicago PD superintendent fired for covering up the murder of Laquan McDonald. McCarthy's only big endorsement so far is via Rudy Giuliani. Another pull-your-pants-up troglodyte who should swing from a lamppost. Every vote for Gary McCarthy is oozing with whiskey dick energy. The man is probably hired a handler just to make sure he doesn't say the N-word in public. The fact that McCarthy is running at all and that he's not a long-shot candidate is the simulation playing with its food before we're all mercifully incinerated. Now, of all the candidates, who is a prouder progressive than Tony Preckwinkle? As alderman, she progressed the gentrification of the Fourth Ward, and in exchange, real estate developers progressively increased her campaign budget. She briefly held the progressive stance against Daley Jr.'s disastrous plan to bring Chicago to the 2016 Olympics, but changed her mind once Daley endorsed her bid for Cook County Board President. Breckwinkle's campaign has done nothing but slapstick handling her connections with certain aldermen under federal investigation, and there are plenty of other Cenobites dumping money and support into her political life, including a billionaire advisor to Rom, Michael Sachs. And despite this, her record does have some genuine good hot tamales. But she's only progressive as long as it doesn't challenge the status quo. Uh, back to the basement faction, Paul Vallis. Uh, Vallis has dispensed a lot of verbal gold this election style, and please ask me about some of it after the show. But for now, I will share one of his greatest hits. Quote... You have the four establishment candidates. I call them the four horsemen of the apocalypse because if any of them get elected, there will be a city hall apocalypse. The rest of us challengers, we are the insurgents. It's like Star Wars. We're the rebel alliance running against the empire. Vallis's mind is so powerful. The man has been in and out of Chicago politics for decades and still thinks he's a fucking insurgent. You know who else thought of his struggle in terms of Star Wars factions? Timothy McVeigh. Vallis's claim to fame was under Daly Jr. as the CEO of Chicago Public Schools. When he was replaced, he moved on to somewhere that truly needed help. The school system in post-Katrina New Orleans. Pop quiz, friends. As of last month, how many public schools are left in New Orleans? Anybody? None. Fucking zero. They're all charter schools, folks. Paul Vallis at his finest. He's one of the preeminent architects of neoliberal school privatization, closing schools, outsourcing, mass layoffs, slashing budgets, test score worship. He did it in Chicago, New Orleans, Philadelphia, and Mr. Worldwide in post-earthquake Haiti. His two biggest endorsements are from Bruce Rauner and Sean Penn. Ask yourself, are these men your friends? <laughs> Folks, it's time we met the final boss of the mayoral election. My muse. My white whale. The Andy Warhol to my Valerie Solanas. <laughs> Slap your flippers together for Big Dick Bill Daly. Yes. 
Between Richard M. and Richard J., Chicago has had 43 years' worth of daily mayors. But Bill Daly wants you to know he's not like his brother and father. He hasn't spent his life doing backroom deals in Chicago. No, he's been all over the nation spreading the stone-hearted daily oafishness. He helped Bill Clinton pass NAFTA. And throughout the aughts, this is my favorite one, while J.P. Morgan was dumping bad mortgages onto investors and whistling toward the 2008 financial collapse, Bill Daly was the bank's head of corporate responsibility. <laughs> Way to head the hell out of that responsibility, bud. Chicago Big Billy style would include a commuter tax on suburbanites who work in Chicago and shaving city council down from 50 aldermanic seats to only 15. But it's pointless trying to understand Daly's seemingly random series of policy proposals with the Daily Fail Sun. It's all about one thing. Money. Thanks, guys. <laughs> His net worth is $28.7 million. That's two Rahm Emanuels. He's outraised his mayoral enemies by a country mile with over $5 million to spend, closer to six as of this date. Who loves him this much? According to Billy, it's the business community who want him to win because they are, quote, very concerned about taxation and Chicago taking a sharp turn to the left. I'm pretty sure a sharp turn to the left was ruled out after the CPD assassinated Fred Hampton, but go off, Kings. <laughs> Last night, there was a fundraising reception for Bill Daly with tickets between $100 and $1,000. I did not go. <laughs> but the bottom of the flyer included a friendly reminder that read, there are no individual or corporate contribution limits in the Chicago mayoral race. From chain restaurants to weapons manufacturers and racetrack owners, the dollars are pouring in for Bill Daly, though I'd be remiss to leave out the most egregious donor, Cubs chairman and superfan Tom Ricketts. You've heard of him, good. Uh, Ricketts dropped $25,000 and did to Daly's pocket roughly how much money I earn in a year. Sorry, ladies, I'm taken. Uh, the Ricketts family is a poster child for 100% inheritance tax. Yeah. They're working to turn Wrigleyville into a Hieronymus Bosch painting of bird people <laughs> vomiting rum chata all over Cubs branded slaves. The Ricketts are the Cokes of the Midwest, the closest thing Chicago has to a far-right terror group, and the fact that Daly took the donation happily says all you need to know about his fitness for office. In conclusion, Chicago is a land of contrast. <laughs> I had to cut so much of this piece to prevent y'all from forcibly removing me off stage with a big cane, and it's still too fucking long. I didn't even get to talk about the boner alderman or the former Black Panther endorsing Bill Daly. It's an impossibly stupid election that is only interesting at the ward level, which is the only place Chicagoans have any access to municipal power, maybe. We will not see another Harold Washington indefinitely. So fuck the mayor's office, join your block club, work with organizers, primary your corrupt alderman, and for the love of God, please buy me a fucking drink. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> 
My sweet boy. My sweet boy, you have upended the little holder. <laughs> One more time for election correspondent Josh Watkins. Man, you really, you really did a number on this. It's all turned around. Um, Sorry. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. I got to tell you. One of the rickets, not like the like final boss. <laughs> One of the rickets lives no fucking joke a block from my parents, the house I grew up in. And every time I visit them and leave without firebombing it, I'm like, this is how I know I'm a coward. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, our final op-ed writer of the evening is a writer, comedian, playwright, performer, and more, who has appeared on all the fucking shows. Like, just all of them. Uh, she got credits for Miles. She is a skewer favorite and is extremely funny. Please welcome Stephanie Weber. Oh. Oh, oh, my God. Hello, thank you so much. How's everyone feeling? You feeling loose? You feeling good? Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> Very serious, very heavy topics this month. Oh my goodness. So it's, it's kind of my turn. So let's do it. <clears throat> Ariana Grande is having a moment. <laughs> well, isn't she? I mean, she seems like she can do no wrong. <laughs> okay. Who here's a fan? Clap it up. You're scared to clap it up because you're like, I can tell, I can tell this room is like, this is about to flip and I'm going to look like I'm evil. Don't worry. You'll be okay. You'll be okay. She seems like she can do no wrong except for an unfortunate snafu where she got a tattoo of Asian letters in the honor of her newest hit single, Seven Rings, which is a banger. Can we all admit? Pretty solidly. Okay. Let's keep going. Uh, <laughs> shortly after she posted the picture of her tattoo, which is on her hand on Instagram, she found out, oh no, <laughs> that her tattoo didn't say seven rings. It said Japanese barbecue grill. Oh! <laughs> who should have known? <laughs> oh, and she found this out by who? Her commenters who can read Japanese. <laughs> ah! <laughs> who knew they existed? <laughs> oh my God. A quick Google search will show you that uh, that Japanese barbecue grill, uh, Shichiren is the name. It's a small grill and not seven rings or love or whatever like post-weed brilliance Ari got. <laughs> so she went back to her tattoo artist and she made it worse. Didn't think it could happen, right? <laughs> the tattoo now says, and this is amazing, Japanese finger barbecue, which <laughs> is just... <laughs> Oh, my God. Uh, not even... <laughs> it's great. It just it feels like Seinfeldian karma to me. I'm just so like, mm, I love it. And it's not even on her finger. It's just like slightly off on her hand. Imagine paying money to permanently have Japanese finger barbecue on yourself. <laughs> and it's not on your finger. <laughs> Imagine the explanation that you have to go through for the rest of your lives. So when people pointed out her mistake and made a fun little meme of it, she was like... It happened because it hurt like hell, so I moved my hand. And then she said that she liked the tattoo because it still, quote, looked tight. That's an awesome reason. <laughs> that rules. Honestly, Ari, yes. <laughs> 
the whole tattoo mess is very white girl appropriating Asian culture, isn't it? Isn't it fun? It felt very like early 2000s tramp stamp, right? Or like the worst guy you met in college who had a Sanskrit tattoo. Yeah, and it was supposed to say world peace, but it said chicken fried steak, right? It all screams white person trying to seem worldly and cultural, doesn't it? Which, speaking of, what ethnicity do you think Ariana Grande is? Italian. She is Italian. She's a white woman. Because we don't live in the 50s anymore. Italians are minorities. Stop stop trying to say you are. (laughs) We have Sopranos. We know. Okay? So I don't know if that shapes your opinion of her. A lot of you already knew that. But it definitely shaped mine. And here's why. The tattoo thing, innocent mistake. I feel like it happens so much that I'm starting to think that it's a practical joke tattoo artists like to play on little drunk idiots, right? <laughs> They're trying to make like people go in and want to seem worldly, and really they just like went to World Market once and like <laughs> fucked someone who was bilingual. <laughs> and they're just like, I understand culture. Uh, the tattoo was a fun bit of karma for her appropriation of other cultures, which Ariana is becoming increasingly guilty of. But instead of saying, I'm sorry, I made a mistake, which would have been totally reasonable, she went on the defense really hard. <laughs> and Ari made herself look like a victim. Sounds about white, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> she never said she was sorry. She never said she was sorry. What she did say was that Japanese fans love it when she honors them with Japanese letters. Which might be true, but she literally, like, didn't ask a single Japanese person what was the truth. And I'm like, bitch, you're rich. Like, hire one. They love the money. Like, what are you doing? So she said, and I quote, and I'm going to try to do my best Ariana, but, like, sometimes she uses a black scent, and I'm not going to do that. So, like, you know, which we'll get to. (laughs) She's like... I don't read or write kanji, obviously, so what do you want me to do? That was a really good Ariana, actually. Um, She's always like a tiny bird that's like, what? I'm scared, huh? I have anxiety, don't come at me. Um, What do you want me to do, she asked. I don't know, like, check. Like, check with one person. Like, ask, you know, like when you're lost, like, ask for directions. I don't know what you're supposed to do. (laughs) But I'm, like, not a tattoo expert, so I can't tell her that. Uh, But then she went on, like, a tweet storm in her typical fashion, which is this. She feigns ignorance, she acts innocent, and then she wonders why on earth people are coming after her. Her, a pop star, a Disney queen. Ah! Don't you know she has anxiety? Ah! (laughs) And she's the only one! (laughs) She acts like I did in college when anyone I dated had one criticism about me. (laughs) And I would, like, heighten it to the extreme. I'd be like, oh, you don't like my pants? Well, we're breaking up! Ah! Like, why are you going to a ledge, you know? And then she, like, needs everyone to calm her down, lure her back, say, it's okay, baby dear, you're okay, you're okay. We know about your anxiety, pobrecita. (laughs) Speaking of Spanish, uh, I found out about Ari's ethnicity when I was writing an article at work about celebrity Latinas. Yes, I did. I, I do that. That's my job. Um, you were talking about how you were like excited to write about like dicks, like that actually is my job. But okay, um, we don't have time to get into it. We don't have time to get into it. Okay, so I looked up her ethnicity and found out that she was not and has never been Latina, and I was confused because I thought she was because she pretends that she is. <laughs> and then I found a picture of her because I went down a really deep rabbit hole and I was like, where did I get this idea? Um, found a picture of her as a teenager which was drastically different, drastically whiter than she is now. Um, Also probably a nose job, but that's okay. Celebrities do that. Who cares? If you have the money, do do what you want, you know? 
God, if I had the money, are you kidding me? Okay, so uh, <laughs> Botox, lipo, who cares? All right, so um, so she is straight up bronzing her entire skin now to be ethnically ambiguous. And no one is talking about it. <laughs> like, I have to search the depths of Twitter to find it. <laughs> she flirts with being black and Latina constantly, but she isn't. But due to a slightly ethnic-sounding name, heavy bronzer, and a little bit of a twee accent she puts on out of fucking nowhere, people think she's something. Something. (laughs) And that dubious something lets her get away with a fucking lot. And it's weird. It's, It's weird because we all like her music. And then you get to this point, and you're like, well, why does this even matter? Should it matter? Isn't it just a tattoo? Isn't it just music? Isn't it just skin? Who cares? (laughs) I don't know. Like, she's been through a lot, but so have a lot of marginalized people that she's appropriating. So I'll tell you why it matters to me. So I'm Latina. Sorpresa! Twist. (laughs) It's like, is Shyamalan in the building? You know what I mean? Okay, so... But I look like this. I understand that I look like I have opinions on kombucha. I get it. I get it. And I do. I think it's gross. I think it's icky. It's like chunky. Okay. I don't like it. I think it's gross. Okay. So, uh, so yeah. I, I look like this and I have an Anglo name because my dad's American. And Ariana Grande gets away with shit that I can't. And I'm first generation Cuban. my grandmother was like a Santorian priestess so she used to wear like these head wraps and colorful beads and I feel like if I do that everyone would look at me like I'm appropriating a culture that actually is my culture ah what am I supposed to do (sighs) and I get it and I sometimes even feel weird going to Latinx events because I feel like I'm looked at by some people like I don't belong and it sucks and I don't want to be disrespectful to anyone and I think that people that are more obviously ethnic than me deserve more visibility, deserve more opportunities. So I try to step back. But I do feel like I don't belong in either world. It's just kind of like the story of anyone that's mixed. It's chill. Um, (laughs) Meanwhile, culture vulture Ariana Grande accepted an award two months ago by joking, oh my god, thank you for coming to my quinceanera. (laughs) Bitch, shut up! (laughs) Callate la boca! I had a quinceanera for real! Like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Stop playing around. I understand, however, so I have white passing privilege. I can do and say things that my darker cousins cannot do. I can play white and get out of trouble with cops. I get hired for jobs really easily. I have literally never been hassled by a landlord. It's all because of my white privilege, and Ari has that too, and is just kind of playing around for marketing reasons because it looks cool. It's the same thing that Molly Cyrus did, Justin Bieber did, Iggy Azalea did, and we all hate that bitch. Like, what is going on? (laughs) So she can turn it off whenever it doesn't benefit her, which I guarantee you she will and does. Other people don't have that privilege. They just don't. And so what she's doing is writing this weird line, and I don't really feel like it's out of a respect for these cultures. I think it's just because it works for her right now. And so why do these artists continue to take from black and Latinx artists rather than raise up those other artists? Latina rapper Princess Nokia claimed that Ari lifted from her own song called Mine, and while I actually don't think that accusation holds any weight. I don't think they sound the same, but that's just me. I'm not an expert. I do think it's unfortunate that the general public doesn't know who Nikia is, but everyone knows who Ariana Grande is. And obviously, Ariana Grande loves Princess Nokia's vibes and sound and aesthetic, 
and probably likes her music and idolizes her. But there are so many black and Latina artists that people don't know about, including Princess Nokia, The Internet, Lizzo, Quay Dash, Mala Rodriguez, so many more. Those are just the people that I like. There are so many more. There's like, obviously, like, I don't like everybody. You know what I mean? Okay. Uh, <laughs> but instead, the public once again gravitates to someone who is white but lifts from black and Latin culture, while those same artists continue to struggle for visibility and radio play. So her stealing from black culture is obviously even worse, I think. She lives from Latinx culture, I think, because she can somewhat pass her being Latina. A lot of people, including myself, thought she was. But her lyrics in Seven Rings are incredibly iffy. The chorus refers to her buying her hair. She says, you like my hair? Gee, thanks, just bought it, which is really cute. But if you don't know, it's pretty appropriative of black women's hair. And that's a whole area of politics that I am not one to talk about. <laughs> I literally only know like a passing bit because I watched the documentary Good Hair. You know, like that's, that's it. <laughs> but basically there's a lot of like Western beauty standards that go into this and those are beauty standards that she has already. But Ariana, her defense, per usual, not an apology. It was, since deleted, white women talking about their weaves is how we're gonna solve racism. Ah! <laughs> Idios mio, honey. Wow. Okay, that's how? News to moi. I thought, I thought it was going to be like a frank discussion of different cultures and giving different races more visibility and not profiting off the backs of black artists and blah. <laughs> but your idea seems way easier. Talk about your weave. <laughs> Honestly, sorry, Ari, but like I have to give you a hearty thank you next to that idea. I think it's terrible. <laughs> And later on, she deleted that and apologized for once. For once. Because she said she has a personal history with hair, and she does buy wigs and extensions. But still, she has to be smart about this. I, it's, it's like I said earlier. I'm a Cuban-American, but I don't go around wearing hair wraps and applying for the same grants that other people of color do because it feels like a denial of my own privilege, and it feels like it would be offensive. And it, I don't know if that's fair. I don't know what's fair. I don't know. All I know is that this is the world we live in, and I'm not going to pretend to be a doe-eyed dumbass who's too fragile to handle criticism about it. <laughs> and one last thing i got to say about her. The anxiety thing really pisses me off. <laughs> the she's been through so much excuse. Oh, or she's dealt with wigs, so she met a Mexican one time. Ah! <laughs> who cares? <laughs> yeah, she's been through a lot, but so has everyone else. Everyone has trauma and hardship, but I don't go around wearing a dashiki because I survived a shooting and my ex-boyfriend is black. Like, why would I do that? I don't get to yell at people that that's the reason, you know? I just don't do it. That would be stupid. Imagine if every time you made a mistake, you just got to scream, my dad's dead, and everyone's like, okay, right this way, right this way. I'm so sorry. Of course, put your finger that you licked into the donut. Of course. Which brings me to my real point. Has everyone forgotten the donut incident? Right? <laughs> Clap it up if you remember. Okay. As a lover of sweet treats, I've never forgotten. Uh, <laughs> my introduction to Ariana Grande, I didn't know that she was a Disney person. I know she's me just, who cares, you know? My introduction to her was that video of her licking her finger, sticking it over a dessert counter into a donut, and then just being like, <laughs> <laughs> That is psychotic. Like, that is, that is a disgusting move that she made. And even then, she didn't apologize. Even then, she was like, well, I don't know. I just kind of felt like it. 
don't know, guys. I'm starting to think that maybe she's a total brat who always thinks she's a victim and thinks she can get away with everything by batting her eyelashes and pouting, sort of like, oh, I don't know, a super privileged white woman. (laughs) And like everyone else, I do like her music. I think it's cool. Honestly, it's catchy. Her voice is beautiful. I just wish that she would be better. I think that we can wish that for people we like. Like, I think Lena Dunham is a great writer, but God, I wish she was better. (laughs) Jesus Christ, girl. She's going through some Grey Garden shit right now, for real. I think she'll be dead in a couple years, but... I do. I'm going to go ahead and say that on record. Is this being recorded? I do think she'll be dead in a couple years. Wow. But Ariana Grande won't. Ariana Grande is doing great. (laughs) I wish that Ariana would choose to be thoughtful and smart and actually listen to people when they tell her she's wrong. Sort of like how we should all aim to be better. And I know she's gone through a lot in her 25 years. I know she has. I was a total mess when I was in my 20s. I get it. But you have to learn to cope and be a person in the world because the world doesn't have to take care of your trauma. That's no one's job but your own. And so our job is to be, obviously, a compassionate human being functioning in society. Oh, it's unfair. (laughs) I don't know if anyone has Ari's number because I would love to tell her all this, but, like, I don't know if she'd actually listen to a Latina for once. So until now, I just have to thank all of you guys. Thank you very much. Oh, man. <laughs> One more time for Stephanie Weber. Come on, give it up. I got to tell you, I had no fucking clue about the Italian shit. <laughs> Especially because, I mean, think of it. Think of the pop music today. There are no songs about chefs. That's a niche she could just fill. <laughs> So the final portion of our evening is going to be the debate. But before we get to that, uh, I'm going to fucking say a bunch of shit to you that's boring and you can't leave because there's still more jokes. I got you. One is that if you like the people who have been reading you the jokes and such tonight and be like, how can I reward them for the jokes? Uh, You may have noticed that there was a donation bucket as you entered. Uh, the show is, of course, free if you don't have cash or don't, don't give a shit. But if you do give a shit and do have cash, you can give fucking money and we give it to the people. Awesome. Number two, we have fucking like, merch. We got stickers and pins and books of the best of uh, 2017 and 16. Uh, the books, they haven't been moving lately because it's 2019 now. Um, <laughs> so they're like five bucks. They're not, they're not expensive. Um, also, this is a podcast. I mentioned that I forgot to hit record for the first part. So this month's not going to have the whole thing, but we got all the fucking previous ones. And uh, also, the show is monthly, so if you like it, you can come back the first Wednesday of next month, March, insert number here, uh, and it's good. Excellent. That's all the boring shit. Now, you may have remembered Joe coming up for the delightful, interactive, fun game earlier. Well, now it's time for round two of our fun, interactive, fun game. Please welcome Kevin Johnson to the stage to host the fun game. Tom's like, we're done with all the boring shit. And then, yeah. Anyway, I, I need another volunteer, and i got to turn my paper up, right? Please, just anyone. I don't care who it is. Joe, you can come back up. I don't care. I really don't. No, no, it's fine. It's fine. Somebody, come on. Because you know you're just going to be in your seat saying this to each other like, oh, I was fucking right. All right, what's up? 
Hey, I know you too. Yeah, I, we talked earlier. Uh, yeah, like earlier in life. I've not. This is not the first time we've met, Devin. Jesus. No. I, uh, well, you know how the game works. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not gonna do well at this, but uh, it doesn't doesn't fucking matter. Man. Yeah. If you, if you get it all right, as as I always mention, I'll give you this drink ticket, which will get you at least a Schlitz, <laughs> I guess. Schlitz rules, <laughs> shut up. Thank I you, Tom. Uh, yeah. All right, your first story. Caught on camera. Police say a stranger spent three hours licking a doorbell at a California home. I don't know why. Ugh. Anyway. Story two. Judge orders deer poacher to dress up like a deer and have others hunt him with paintball guns. <laughs> Story three. They do. <laughs> Story three. In a university in India, um, one of the officials urges students to just kill each other instead of complaining. <laughs> wow, that... Yeah, that escalated. <laughs> it, it very much did escalate. Uh, I'm going to go with number one, though. I... Oh no, that happened. Ah! It was one of those like ring ones, so he could like see the camera feed of him doing it for oh, three hours too. God. So like, was that the reason? Like, he just enjoyed watching himself I... lick the doorbell. He can't like... watch himself. Oh, okay. He... I don't know. <laughs> there was a lot of drugs involved. Yeah. I guess. Um. So the the Bambi one is actually. I mean, the uh, the deer one is actually fake. Oh. The reason I called it Bambi is because the judge ordered. Oh. The person to watch Bambi every month for an entire year so that they would not kill deer. Which means the, the, in, the university in India did, there was an official that did say, just kill the other person. If you, ever get into, if you ever get into a fight, beat them. If possible, murder them. We'll take care of it later. Oh, my God. That, I figured, I figured like the, the loophole was, oh, he's being sarcastic. Like, nope. Uh, no, that oh, that didn't happen. Okay. No, no, that didn't happen. All right, your second set of stories. I gave him too much credit. <laughs> Atlanta-based rapper 21 Savage, born Reginald Algernon Hastings III, <laughs> is arrested by ICE for overstaying his UK visa. Mm. Sorry, too. You're like, I don't know what any of those words mean. <laughs> Jesus I know Christ. what I mean individually. Yeah, <laughs> yeah okay. Uh, story two. A professor hired mercenaries to rescue one of his students from ISIS. I don't know. Story three. A high-tech robot at a Russian forum turns out to be a man in a suit. (laughs) (laughs) I heard about that one. I know that. Yeah. Uh, Actually, I was just reading up on 21 Savage's uh, Ice Arrest, and I don't believe that's his real name. Damn. Yeah! Hey! (laughs) Yeah, it's uh, Shia Ben Abraham Joseph. So, yeah, that's... Oh, I was not expecting you to do that. <laughs> I would never expect me to know that either. That's okay. I just, I was like, I want to find like a really like you, just British sounding fucking name. That did sound very British. It did. Yeah, Thank you. Can't go wrong with Hastings. All right. Well, shit. Okay. I just, damn. <laughs> what the fuck? You know, whatever, man. Anyway, third set of stories. Then me uh, throw you off that bad. It's, it's, I, I feel bad now. It's, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> Maybe you'll get two out of three this time. Okay. So crypto, crypto CEO dies, holding only passwords that can unlock millions in customers' coins. I put dies in quotes because I don't know. That'd be like, oh, it's like, whatever. Anyway, second, 
founder of Hummus Brand, says she'll change the name from Me Too. Mm. Yeah. Does that make sense? Did you get that? I, There's so currently a hummus brand called, called Me, Me Too, Too, and they're going to change that for obvious reasons. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Just want to make sure you had all the parts of that. No, I figured. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Thank so, you. Yeah. Story three. Ahead of Valentine's Day, Heinz is introducing ketchup conversation heart candies. <laughs> oh, because heart candies aren't disgusting enough? Yeah, no. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, Neko went out of uh, they went out of business, and so like there's not going to be those conversation hearts, except by Bratches, which sucks at <laughs> making everything. They're the ones that make like the giant fucking jelly beans that just taste like shit. Just eat chalk. Yeah. Yeah. So which one of those is fake? Uh, That's the game we're playing. You yeah, remember that part? I, I'm gonna go with number one again. Number one, no, the CEO did oh, quote unquote die. But I thought he literally died. Oh, oh, sorry. Did that throw you off when I put the quotes? Uh, it was, it was, it was like for my personal thing. Uh, it was like he's probably still alive, just <laughs> cashing out somewhere in Cancun, you know? Uh, no, but uh, the... always put passwords in your will. Uh, yeah. No, <laughs> fuck him. Take it with you, like an Egyptian fucking pharaoh. So. What's, what's actually false is the conversation hearts. They're not doing that. What they're doing is ketchup caviar. What? So you can get, yeah, you can get little balls of ketchup. Uh, they're right, vegan. Well, people like ketchup. I'm sorry. Yeah. Again, well, always. thanks for coming up. Hey. Get another sticker to add to your collection. Uh, one, uh, yeah, actually, I guess you'll, you'll probably handle that other, business, that other boring thing at the end. Anyway, it's Tom Harrison. Welcome back hey. to the stage so that he may introduce the debate. Hey. Thank you to Kevin Johnson for the fun news game. And thank you to Devin for being in the fun news game. <laughs> We're all having fun here. We're making it happen. It's working out fine. That's my take. Um, so the final portion of our evening at the Skewer is a fun debate. Now, what is this debate? Well, every month is going to have one news story that one person's uh, take cannot fully encompass. We need both sides of the issue, except instead of it being a, like a good side and then like an obviously evil side, like most both sides, both of the sides are dumb as shit, and I picked them as a joke. So what is the... Uh, actually, I know how this works. I bring the people up first. I'm thinking... Hmm. Our first debater writes for the monthly Chicago talk show Good Evening with Pat Whalen. She has written for IO's political satire show POV, and it is her third time here performing at the Skewer. As far as reviews go, her acute satire is occasionally lost on her social media friends, but her parents think she is quite funny, and they, f- <laughs> they fight about from whom she gets her sense of humor. Please welcome Oz Elgin. Our second debater is a writer, coder, and educator. Her writing has appeared on tech blogs across the web, and she is a player on the excellent gaming podcast, Tabletop Potluck. She's also written two Tumblr posts that got stolen by Facebook meme pages. <laughs> I, people who, like, have made a meme, it's like, it's like if I hear, like, a friend of mine, like, oh, like, did you know they cast a spell the other day? I'm like, what? <laughs> Please welcome Noah Heinrich. <laughs> 
now is when I say what you're debating about. It's the topic this month. You may have noticed that the United States is doing a fucking coup in Venezuela. Uh, this is your standard issue at Latin American coup. It's been a while. We're just getting back into the rhythm of it. But honestly, it's like kind of boring. We've been here. It's happened before. Yanarama. The question then becomes, when the time comes for our next coup, because we're going to do another... <laughs> When the time comes for our next coup, how are we going to shake up the formula to jazz up the coup experience for everybody? Oz, what will you be arguing for to jazz up the coup? Well, to jazz up our next coup, we should just pretend it's an alien coup. And just <laughs> pretend it's an alien invasion and back it up. That would be pretty jazzy. <laughs> Noah. What will you be arguing for? My position is that to spice up our coup game, we should go after Canada next. <laughs> Just go big. <laughs> Excellent. The way this debate is going to work is that both of our delightful debaters are going to give five-ish minutes of opening statements. I will then return to the stage, ask them questions, stupid questions. They will have to answer on the fly. Have you been given questions in advance? No. They said no. <laughs> They will then be given about one-ish minute to give a closing statement, at which point you will determine who is the winner, who would like to go first. Oz is going first. <laughs> go! I'm practicing my Pelosi clap. How delightfully matronizing was that? <laughs> so, um, Venezuela is in a bit of a mess right now. Maduro is democratically elected, all right. But he also stripped the parliament of its powers. And apparently on occasion he takes naps on Hugo Chavez's grave. It's true. <laughs> The former is not very democratic, and the latter, well, not very normal. <laughs> Having said that, the U.S. pushing for democracy and freedom in Venezuela has less legitimacy than Putin getting a pussy riot tattoo. <laughs> the word we're debating here today is coup. It's spelled C-O-U-P, where the P is silent, a silent piss against the winds of sovereignty. There is some great research by political scientists on this asking a very important empirical question. Are coups good for democracy? <laughs> Along with other important questions such as, is Pope a Muslim? <laughs> is Africa a country? And is there a new Vanilla Ice album in the works? <laughs> the answer to all of these are a resounding no. And that's a relief. Yeah. Although it would be awesome if Pope was a closet, closet Muslim. <laughs> he was in the United Arab Emirates yesterday, so I'm just saying. <laughs> Maybe he is. So ideally, we would just stop coup plotting. 
Stop and let countries ruin themselves on their own. Let our hands be clean for a change. Wouldn't it be great if like, there was a coup in Latin America somewhere <laughs> and like, we found out about it in social media as the US, like we didn't know. We'd be like, what? That's crazy. I had no idea. Did, we, did you know? <laughs> like Ann Coulter, did you know? No. Um, but if we must coup, if the US's primary values as a nation are freedom and democracy, Sorry, I meant consumerism, guns, and coup plotting. <laughs> then we must make the next one an alien coup. Pretend that it's an alien invasion and back it up. <clears throat> Space. <laughs> the final frontier. These are the coup plotters of the United States government and private enterprise. <laughs> Their continuing mission to explore strange new wars. <laughs> to screw up new civilizations. To boldly go where no coup has gone before. I have the whole thing planned out. We would first have to convince Trump that this is his brilliant idea, which is not very hard. If we could just remind him that time when Melania told him that he needed to stay away and she needed space. <laughs> and then remind him all his Twitter rants about illegal aliens and hope that he puts two and two together in like alien space in Venezuela and like, wow, coup, alien coup. In the likely scenario that he doesn't put it, put it together, <laughs> we would just tell him. <laughs> and then tell him it's, it was his idea. And then he could find a use for his ridiculous space force, propping up puppet governments pretending to be alien invaders. Of course, we would call it space farce. So these aliens would be bringing democracy to the world one country at a time, but like democracy on steroids. Or was it asteroids? <laughs> and then Trump would be colluding with aliens. <laughs> and then poor Robert Mueller would have to investigate that. He would be like, I was almost done. <laughs> I imagine a declaration of dependence. We hold this coup to be self-evident that all coup scenarios are not created equal and that this one is the best one we've come up with yet. That people living under the new regime are endowed with certain alienable rights like life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. And that these rights can be taken away from you at any moment. But relax, it's highly unlikely. Because the new alien government would operate under something like the Prime Directive. I'm going to assume that you all are like familiar with Star Trek. But just for that one person in the audience, <laughs> Prime Directive is a guiding principle in, the, in Star Trek, uh, prohibiting interference with internal and natural development of civilizations. Our alien puppet government would have Amazon Prime Directive. <laughs> I thought it was cute too. As long as you are an Amazon Prime member, <laughs> you would be fine. <laughs> <laughs> Shh, 
shopping, buying, consuming, rating products on Amazon. Of course, all approved by the alien government. And with free two-day intergalactic shipping. <laughs> Who could say no to that? So what would these aliens look like? We could make up a story about how aliens had the ability to take any form, but they chose to look like the most common type of leader found in Western democracies, which is... White rich men. I love it. It's so true. White rich men. But they would also look like a turtle. (laughs) So um, they would all wear Mitch McConnell masks. By the way, I wanted to buy a Mitch McConnell mask to bring here tonight as a prototype. (laughs) Did you know that on Amazon you can buy 1,500 live ladybugs? A bacon-scented mustache. Even a red sequin pillowcase that morphs into Nicholas Cage's face with one one felt swoop of a hand. But you cannot buy a Mitch McConnell mask. Coincidence? I think not. So these aliens would also have a greeting, like live long and prosper. But instead, their greeting would be, be a white male and have a great credit score. And the hand gesture, they would have to have a hand gesture like this, but it would have to be something like an intergalactic flip-off. <laughs> and the new currency of this new regime would be Starbucks. <laughs> Get it? I'll wait, I'll wait. I'll wait. Good, good. We're all on the same page. Um, at some point, I started to believe this stuff myself. You know, one thing I realized that one thing I'm learning from all of this is that once you start planning a coup, you start believing your own bullshit. Um, so, in conclusion, there is such a great storyline here. It would be more interesting than any other fiction we could write about a new coup. And maybe Democrats could even get rid of Mitch McConnell, arguing that he has been an alien operative all along, like Pelosi for the win. Thank you. Second, the one day they bring a stand up here and I forget to print anything out. Typical. Okay, so let's get one thing out of the way first. America has nothing to prove in the coup department. We are objectively the best. We've done a good number of regime changes, and we had a great time while we did it. I'd go over the highlights, but the Wikipedia page on U.S. involvement in regime change is almost comically long. (laughs) The point is that for the United States, coups are a bit like CrossFit. We do it all the time, and we're proud of it to the point that it makes everybody around us uncomfortable. (laughs) That being said... I have to admit that this latest gig in Venezuela does feel a bit old hat. I mean, come on! Anybody could topple a leader whose country is suffering from hyperinflation, mass starvation, and the suppression of the freedom of the press. Give that shit to Switzerland. I don't care. Changing that regime isn't just easy, it's boring. And it is a waste of our considerable talents. Maybe it's time to admit that we're stuck in a rut. Rehashing the same old imperialist muscle flexing against third world countries again and again. 
I think we're overdue for something new and exciting. We need to go for a big fish. We need to go after Canada. (laughs) Why Canada? First, why not? (laughs) But let's look at some of our previous targets. Iraq, Haiti, Panama, Iran. Nearly all of them were third world countries. Their governments were highly unpopular with the West. And most of them, actually all of them, were sitting on some kind of natural resource or strategic location that the United States wanted. (laughs) Funny how that works out. So that means our ideal candidate for really kind of spicing things up has to be white, popular on the international stage, and not in possession of anything that we even remotely want. (laughs) I don't know about you, but to me that sounds exactly like Justin Trudeau. And can you imagine a grander power move? CIA operatives arming Quebecois separatists? (laughs) Spreading anti-Trudeau pamphlets in Toronto? And paying off high-ranked officers in the Force Armée Canadienne? (laughs) I want to see Jonathan Cohen, or whoever has his job next week, denouncing handsome, clear-cut, clean-cut Justin Trudeau as a monster at the UN General Assembly. (laughs) Think of the chaos, the confusion... If Canada, if Canada isn't safe, who is? <laughs> of course, I am leaving out a critical ingredient when it comes to shuffling Justin off of the international stage. In every great coup the U.S. has presided over, there have been there's been some kind of excuse, something we use to justify meddling in the affairs of others, like a bunch of kids and their pesky dog. <laughs> It doesn't have to be a good reason. It doesn't even have to be grounded in reality. <laughs> but, we need to be, but we do need to give people some kind of reason. And this is where the true genius of my plan is going to shine. So we tend to think of Canada as this beautiful, apologetic, democratic socialist paradise. They've got universal health care, after all. And did you see Justin at the Pride Parade last year? <laughs> what are we going to hit him with? Underselling Wisconsin dairy farmers? <laughs> And we could go back to our old standby of making shit up until something sticks. But why do that when Canada has some very real problems we can exploit? I mean, champion. (laughs) For example, there's the Kinder Morgan Trans Mountain Pipeline, a widely unpopular project that could set back energy reform by years. There's also endemic violence against First Nations people, particularly women. Justin promised to do something about that, but nothing has happened. And, of course even though he did take in 25,000 Syrian refugees in 2015, as soon as the good press dried up, the borders shut down like tourism to Saskatchewan in the wintertime. But wait a second. Doesn't the U.S. do all of that every day and so much more? To you, I say, yes, we do. (laughs) But I also say that you are asking the wrong question. The real question is, If we want to depose the Canadian government for these crimes, shouldn't we make sure they are at least better about those issues than they are even a little bit? If there's one thing that the Obama era proved, it's that the United States will not become a better place for the right reasons. But what if we became a better place for the wrong reasons? (laughs) Such as spite, 
If we improve our treatment of indigenous peoples, the environment, and refugees for the sole purpose of showing the Canadians that they're not better than us, then I call that a win. And in response to making a coup look like an alien invasion, listen, H.G. Wells already did it, and we're never going to top that. He was a cool dude. But a coup in Canada? That's our chance to actually use the United States' greatest strength to actually do something good for once. And to finally rub it in those smug northerners' faces (laughs) once and for all. Thank you. Oh, let's hear it once again for our debaters, Oz Elgin and Noah Heinrich. Those are some excellent opening arguments, but anyone can make a good prepared statement. Are you prepared to defend them in the moment? We'll see. Oz, my first question is for you. The thing about most normal coups is that once they're done, America just rakes in the money and there's no additional effort required. But this alien invasion gag you're going with requires everyone to keep up the fiction indefinitely. How are you going to ensure that everyone stays in character? Are you fucking kidding me? Have you heard of Afghanistan? We're still there! Good point. If I could do the floss, I'd totally do it right now. But I can't. Um, this is just way more entertaining. We can totally pull this off. We, we, we justified so many ridiculous things mm-hmm. with the current administration that, like, we could... This like piece of piece of cake i mean it's been like what 90 80 how many years we've been in afghanistan Iraq? like we've ruined the world <laughs> and we're still ruining like it's just perpetual mm. so it's totally fine i think this would be a, 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 a refreshing we're like this time is different it's aliens <laughs> like it's not really you know we just kind of have to like i mean we didn't want to do it again but these guys came from outer space and we didn't have a space wall <laughs> so we had to like we can stop them if we had a space wall, it would be a different story. But we didn't have a space wall, so now we have to kind of back them up. That's true. You know? Space wall. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> no, I got a question for you. You got to answer this question. Shoot. The trouble with coups in countries like Canada, where white people live, <laughs> is that for some reason, everyone calls them wars instead of coups. <laughs> And other countries get mad at you for doing it instead of trying to also make money off of it. How do you avoid this international blowback? That's a very good question, Tom. Let me think Thank about you. that for a second. I often make great questions. <laughs> I mean, yeah, obviously, if we're going after something like Canada, we need to play this a bit smarter than we've played literally everything else we've ever done on the foreign policy stage. <laughs> Which is why I propose that we wage a shadow war on Justin Trudeau. And that involves my aforementioned plan of sending CIA operatives into Quebec and Toronto. And I've run out of places in Canada I've heard of. Yeah, Yeah, Vancouver. Vancouver, thank you. But I'm also thinking (laughs) that we can also wage a media campaign. If we make Canada look as awful as humanly possible to the world before we even strike, then they'll be begging us Mm -hmm. to go in. 
they'll be begging us to attack Ottawa. So I propose that we draft America's greatest satirists. All of us. Oh, you. Oh, you. (laughs) It doesn't pay. I'm sorry. But we will savage Canada until the stereotype of the kind, apologetic Canadian is a thing of distant memory. Yeah. I mean, honestly, for me, just being like, hey, remember Mike Myers? That'll do it. Uh, Oz, your next question. This alien story, it's going to hit hard at the beginning. It's going to be a big hit. We know that. But as the years go on, the novelty is going to fade. So what's a fun plot twist that you can introduce a couple of years into the newly installed government's tenure that will make the concept exciting again? There's so much. <laughs> I mean, there could be like other aliens chasing these aliens, <laughs> and they could come, and we could like backstab these aliens with the other aliens because we do that all the time with the regular countries. So That's like true. we're we're used to that. And then um, there could be like alien flu. <laughs> you know, there could be so many things. Like there's so many plots. I mean, we have like we like we've been writing science fiction for a while now. You know, like we're good at it. And the thing is, there's so much humanity in those stories, Tom. So much humanity. Like more humanity than in like what was that the Kevin Spacey thing? Like the, the White House whatever Sex like, Crimes? No what <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Sex crimes. <laughs> Coming up on Netflix soon. Uh, K-Pax, no one with the assist. (laughs) No, 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 like we're, whatever, I don't remember. Obviously, (laughs) I don't like Kevin Spacey that much, which makes me really a good person. (laughs) Anyways. (laughs) Um, Yeah, like we could totally, like we we do this well. Like science fiction is what we do well. Like Mm. there's so much material in there. I don't, I'm not worried. I'm not worried at all. Yeah. Fair enough. Good answer. No, I got a question for you. Coups against poor countries that we've ground into poverty through years of, you know, evil uh, <laughs> are boring to pull off, primarily since there's really no chance of pushback from the coupie. But against a bigger country, against a country like Canada, We'd run the risk of taking some damage ourselves. How would you entrust this? In war, we all need to be prepared to make sacrifices. (laughs) I'm willing to give up the following states (laughs) in order to make sure to keep the country as a whole running. Those states are as follows. (laughs) Maine. Fuck yes. Montana, Michigan, my home state. I'm willing to make that sacrifice. And I'd say 40 to 60% of Washington. Makes sense. Yeah, reasonable. Thank you. (laughs) All right. Now, for the final question, I have a question that I'm going to pose to both of you. Whomsoever has an answer, first approach the mic and fucking talk into it. (laughs) When the United States inevitably pays for its centuries of hubris and falls to a coup itself, 
Who will have been responsible, and what fun ways will they have used to jazz it up? So I think the people are going to be taking us down. I think we're due for some karma. So I'm going to say a Latin American country. If I wanted to be topical, I would say Venezuela, so I'm going to go with that. (laughs) Have you read my closing statement? (laughs) I haven't. Um, Well, I'm going to talk in detail about about this in my closing statement, but we're going to fucking coup ourselves. Damn. Yeah. Okay. It's going to be fun. Speaking of closing statements, now is the time for both of our debaters to give their closing statements. Here's the fun twist. I need to go to the bathroom so fucking bad. So please take long enough that I'm out before you're done. We cool? If I'm not out, can you riff? Can you just riff? Cool. I will do my fucking best. (laughs) Noah, you went second in the opening statements, so you can go first in the closing. Make it fucking happen. So after conferring with my opponent, it turns out that we are actually more or less making identical closing statements here. (laughs) But I spent about 30 minutes in a Starbucks on this, so I'm going to read it anyway. (laughs) My opponent would have you believe that we'll get our mojo back by staging an alien invasion. That's well and good for now, but where does it stop? That old chestnut will get stale after two or three times, and then we'll just need to keep upping the ante in order to stay interested. The only way that road ends is with Acting Secretary of Defense Patrick Shanahan building a death ray in a secret mountain lair while wearing a comically bad wig. And as much as I'd like to see that, that'll just happen anyway. However, if we stage a coup in Canada, we'll have already gone as big as it goes. There's no way to top that. Unless we stage a coup of ourselves. (laughs) Yeah. Let's topple our own government. Ferment ferment unrest in our own streets. Replace our corrupt leaders. Savage ourselves in the press. Elect people who we know will serve our interests and put them there and make sure that they know that we're boss. That sounds pretty good to me. So, we coup Canada. We coup ourselves. Profit. Well, that's nice. But a little too optimistic. My self-coup is a little different. So, my friend Noah here thinks that a Canadian coup is a better idea than an alien invasion. I mean, okay, they got some oil. But that's so boring. Like, that will get fewer ratings than the last Golden Globes award ceremony. (laughs) It's not even an exotic place. What are we going to do? Roll over nicely paved roads with our tanks? Stop in front of a Tim Hortons and yell, You are Dunkin' Donuts now! (laughs) Boring. Is it an invasion of Canada by aliens? That's an immediate blockbuster. Canada would be the perfect place to try my idea, and here's why. 
One, Canadians are polite and much more amenable to diversity than we are. They'd be like, ooh, aliens from outer space, come on in. That's my Canadian accent. <laughs> I'm originally from Turkey, so that's as good as that's going to get. Um, <laughs> two, Canada has vast amounts of space. Cold, cold space. Easy, easy to justify why aliens would choose Canada over, like, San Diego. Have we found any pleasantly habitable places in outer space? Not, re not yet, but plenty of cold-ass planets out there, so there. Three, it's cheaper to film, film in Canada. <laughs> and four, I'm mad as hell about the Fowler Vortex invasion of last week. And so a staged alien invasion would just be payback. <laughs> okay, so putting Canada aside, my argument has so much more potential. We could coup Egypt. <laughs> Saying that aliens returned to the summer cottages they built a long time ago. <laughs> the pyramids. Or the UK. Aliens came back for the plot of land they owned a long time ago. The Stonehenge. It was a coup plot all along. <laughs> Mystery solved. <laughs> also, this is the only scenario I could see where US would coup itself. I mean, we love democracy and freedom so much that we would never give it up to another country. But we might give it up to aliens who look like rich white men who come with Amazon Prime Directive because that's not much different than the status quo. I mean, we have fucked over so many other countries that a self-coup would just be an exercise in masturbation. <laughs> a national jerk-off session where we all climax at the same time and yell, two-day free shipping! Yes! 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 Thank you. Oh, oh, lively debate on both sides. But unfortunately, only one of you can be the winner. And what are you competing for? What are they going to win? Well, I'll tell you. They're going to win. They're going to win this delightful skewer that's mostly garbage but has a bead on the end. Skewer, that's the name of the show. You get it. So how are we going to determine the victor? Well, first, we're going to need an impartial judge, and I'm looking at you, so it's going to be you. Is that cool with you? Awesome. So your job is going to be to determine the volume of the crowd noise. Your opinion is now irrelevant. You're just a volume determinator. Um, so I'm going to ask you, if, for each person, if you think that they were the victor, uh, if you think they were, clap really loud. If you think they were not, still clap, because, come on, let's be nice. Um, <laughs> I've, I've seen people just be like, when I give mine, and I'm like, come on. Uh, <laughs> So, if you believe the victor in this debate arguing for cooing Canada is Noah Heinrich, please clap now. Excellent. If you believe the victor in this debate was Oz Elgun arguing for having the coup be an alien invasion, please clap now. Impartial judge, who received the winning applause? Really close. I think it was Noah. Noah! You are the victor! Congratulations!
So does this mean I can watch the new episodes on Crunchyroll? Uh, you need, no, you need an account, man. You need, a, you need to pay the monthly fee. It's only one week, though. Like, you can watch them the next week. Like, it's crazy. <laughs> like, I thought that you needed an account, but you really don't. <laughs> Any show that's already complete, you can just watch it. <laughs> anyway, thank you to both our debaters. Fucking fantastic job. Give them a round of applause again. And friends, that's it for this QR. Thank you for coming to this delightful show. Uh, For most of the show, we've been recording this as a podcast (laughs) that you can listen to on the internet. You've been here, so you don't need to. But if you were like, my friend X would love this, you can fucking link it to him. Yeah, there, you can give it to him. Really. Uh, Yeah, we're going to be back next month on March number... Uh, the first Wednesday, I don't know what number. The, hey, March 6th at the assist. Um, yeah, so that's been the skewer. I've been Tom Harrison. Thank you all for coming. Uh, bye. Thank you for listening to the Skewer Podcast. If you like what you heard, you can come to a live show the first Wednesday of every month at Cafe Mustache in Chicago. Uh, if you want to know more or if you want to be on the show, please get in contact at skewerchicago at gmail.com. If you liked the podcast, you can subscribe to it or review it or share it. Just things you normally do with podcasts. You're listening to one right now. You know how they work. Anyway, thank you, and we'll see you next time.